Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Uh, I usually record this podcast in the mornings, but this week I'm recording it in the evening. Just been too busy in the mornings and I've managed to grab some time in what is actually quite a warm shed. But anyway, let's see if that changes the attack of the podcast, shall we? I'm certainly a little bit more mellow this evening when I record this, as it's been a particularly busy day. But anyway, I want to kick off this week with um, something that I've heard about from a number of photographers, and it uh, concerns the book publisher Thames and Hudson, well known, of course, for their books uh, by Cartier-Bresson and David Bailey and many large, lavishly illustrated and beautifully printed books. What they've been working on is it seems that they're working with an extremely uh, well-regarded writer on photography, a historian of photography, on a particular book that deals with British documentary photography since the Second World War. Sounds like a great title, doesn't it? Sounds like something that perhaps a lot of you would be interested in reading and buying. But here's the thing. What they've been doing is sending out emails to photographers whose work they want to feature in the book and saying that they don't have enough budget to pay for those pictures. But don't worry. What you're going to get in return is a free copy of the book. Now, as we all know, free copies of books don't pay the rent or the food bill. But it also raises an issue here for me, which is, What actually is this book going to end up being? Is it going to end up being the best work and a book that we all feel that we need to to own? Or is it going to be a book full of pictures where the photographers have said, yeah, all right, you can have the picture for free? I think it's going to be the latter. What is really good to hear is a number of photographers I know who've been sent this email have gone back to Thames and Hudson and said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give it to you for free. I want a fee, not a big fee, but just a reasonable fee. And the publisher is paying it. Now, what this raises, of course, is two questions. Are they able to pay, but they just don't want to? Or are they able to pay and they're just trying to get away with it? Well, what is interesting is that uh, the company turnover on their last published accounts was £28 million sterling. They made over two hundred grand profit, and that's after dividends to their shareholders. Although they are a kind of family-owned business, as far as I'm aware. But anyway, what's even more interesting about that, and those figures sound pretty impressive, is that a friend of mine who understands business and works in the publishing arenas said to me that with those figures, they're in trouble. I don't want to spend a long time about what I'm about to speak about, but at the same time, I just feel I need to mention it. Although, in a way, I don't even know why I'm mentioning it, because we're all aware of it. Well, what is it? It's writing about photography. Over the last few weeks, I've had to read a number of pieces of writing, primarily, I suppose, academic or theoretical writing about photography, and I just don't understand any of it. Not only do I not understand it, but I'm not interested in it, and it just doesn't seem to make any sense. I regularly call out for 
clear, concise, accessible writing about photography. And yet there's this whole school of thought that the more words you put in, the better it is. The more those words contradict each other within a sentence, the more kind of erudite and uh, deeper you are uh, exposing and examining the work. To be honest with you, I'm just bored with it. And I really think, as I'm sure you do also, it's time for it to just stop. When I first started school as a, as a five-year-old, I, I walked into the, the nursery school and uh, they'd got my name wrong. And that happens to anybody who has a name where your Christian name could be your surname and your surname could be your Christian name. That's continued uh, for me over the last 50 odd years. I'm still regularly called Scott rather than Grant. But anyway, the reason I'm raising that is because last week I made a mistake which I'd like to apologise for. I referred to Michael Jang as Michael Yang. And I'm deeply sorry for getting that wrong. I know how it feels when people get your name wrong. The only thing I can imagine is I have been looking at a lot of Scandinavian photography recently. And maybe that's why I went for the soft J rather than the hard J. Anyway, Michael, I hope you'll accept my apology. But this week we have another photographer telling us what photography means to him. And it's Brooklyn-based Ethan Hill who's an award-winning portrait photographer who attended the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. His projects are wide-ranging and his subjects include everyone from A-list celebrities in film, theater and music to scientists working on cutting-edge research in medicine and technology. Clients include Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, Food and Wine, Newsweek, Esquire, The New York Times, AM Records, Hollywood Records, Atlantic Records, UPS and Dell Computers. Aside from commercial assignments, Ethan teaches portraiture at the International Center for Photography, New York, and is working on his first full-length feature documentary film. His work is included in the permanent collection of the National Portrait Gallery in London. History is the first thought that comes to mind. Record keeping. Record keeping for culture and society. In relation to portraiture, one can start the conversation talking broadly about definitive portraits of cultural icons. Joseph Karsh's portrait of World War II era Winston Churchill, the very Jewish Arnold Newman's incredible image of Nazi sympathizer Alfred Krupp, or Annie Leibowitz. Well, there's John and Yoko, Bette Midler covered in the roses, Whoopi Goldberg in the bath of milk. The list is endless. I like thinking about these images embedded in our collective culture as mile markers on the road that we travel together, defining the heroes and the rebels and the devils that impacted the world at a particular point in time. But the further I bump along in this life, and the more I see the photography world change and the editorial and the commercial world collapse, the more I seem to circle back to what has always been my first spark of interest in photography, and that is the record keeping that works on a quieter and a more personal scale. Some of the photographers that have influenced and inspired me the most are August Sonder, with his cataloging of regular German citizens by job description, Nan Golden's work from the 70s and 80s. 
I love seeing her pictures over and over again of Cookie Mueller, Greer Langton, and David Armstrong back when everybody was still alive. I love Sally Mann's work of her kids and watching them grow up, and Ralph Eugene Meatyard's work of his kids and watching them grow up. I love the pictures of Emmett Gowan photographing Edith over the decades, and Harry Callahan's photographs of Eleanor. And Mike Disfarmer. I'm guessing Disfarmer never had much of a thought during his lifetime of his images existing outside of the town line of Heber Springs, Arkansas. But in retrospect, they are, of course, such universally important photographs. It makes sense that they'd be so well known internationally today. A few easy themes to pick out that run through all of this work is a long-term investment of time on the part of the photographer, a collaborative partner to create the work with, and of course, family. One of my best friends is the photographer John Clark. He's like a brother to me. We met when we were at college together in the first half of the 90s. During the school term, there would occasionally be time for a weekend breakfast at a diner where we'd order the special and the coffee kept flowing and we discussed these photographers and these images for countless hours, trying to understand why those pictures moved us so much while we were simultaneously trying to figure out who we were going to be as image makers ourselves. I think that photographs have a lot to tell us about ourselves if we learn how to listen to them. Through the gaze and body language of people we'll never meet, those ghosts staring back from paper, they can pass on a little of their humanity to us, if one is interested in listening. If one is interested in, I don't know, understanding human relations a little better in regards to the poetry of living. It's just the simple things, how a foot is turned, how someone holds the hand of the person standing next to them, the emotion conveyed in the eyes when someone looks straight back into yours, joy or solitude or something else entirely. What is spoken is beyond verbal description and yet universally understood. I think that's the thing with photography that moves me so much. I'm trying to understand a little more clearly about what it means to be human. Myself, I've always been fascinated by family pictures. Vacation pictures, wedding pictures, blurry pictures of front yards when someone is trying to get a good snap of the family dog running across the lawn. I love looking at a big group picture of everybody gathered together to celebrate a birthday. The composition of all of those bodies in a single frame and how those people appear to relate to each other. I'm still trying to learn what a family is, what it means to be tied to people by blood, and what it means to tie yourself to the family that you choose. It's that magic that I see in the photographs that I really respond to. That small ding of a reminder of how amazing life can be in all of its beauty and its poetry and its ugliness and its beauty. Who cares if what we read as a viewer is or is not what the sitter was thinking or feeling at the time, or if the thing that we see in the picture was what the photographer was trying to conjure out of the subject when the image was made. Artwork that moves you gives you what you seek from it. When those pictures permeate out into the world, like the family pictures of Harry Smith, or those quiet and intimate moments in the photographs of William Gedney, the pictures become something different. Not a record of the prominent, the political, and the pop star, but a family album of the culture and for the culture. 
As a portrait photographer, I like the responsibility of being an archivist of personal experience for the people that allow me to photograph them, a record keeper of who we are and who we have been on this road that we travel down together, one voice of many voices. Thank you, Ethan, for your contribution this week. Really interesting for me, actually, to uh, hear Ethan there talking about images that were, which absolutely a part of my photographic and visual conscience. I, I knew all of those images, and I think it's perhaps interesting also there that Annie Leibovitz, as a photographer, is so derided in so many different ways, and in some ways I can understand why. But there's no denying the power of those images and how they've stayed with us. If you were working with photography, particularly from a commission perspective, in the 80s and um, and in the 90s. So um, thank you very much, Ethan, for, for kind of bringing those images back into the debate against those of that Arnold Newman uh, picture, for example, which if you're if you're not aware of it, um, check out the work of Arnold Newman, quite a, a controversial character. He certainly rubbed quite a few people up the wrong way, as far as I'm aware. But anyway, uh, thank you, Ethan. Um, one of the interesting things that happened in the last week to me was that um, I was in the garden when I, when a neighbour popped his head over the fence. Not the neighbour that um, live streams workouts uh, a great volume each morning from her garden, but the other neighbour who owns the dog who sometimes appears in the podcast. And it turns out that he was telling me that he listens to this podcast as he walks his dog, that dog, uh, across the fields near to where we live. And that he'd also bought and given his, uh, excuse me, given his daughter a camera. I don't know if he'd bought it. I presume he bought it at some point. But anyway, he'd given his, his daughter a camera. I think she's about 10 or 11 years of age. And that she was really enjoying going out during the summer and using that which kind of tied in with something we talked about last week about my idea of uh, giving a kid a camera the other thing that occurred to me in the last um, week or so is that so many of us are being restrained physically from travel either permanently or we feel as if we can go and then suddenly there's another restriction past a uh, put upon us as a kind of form of lockdown and it made me think of how attractive the idea of a photographic road trip is becoming it's certainly something that i've ne never really thought that much about but certainly the more time i'm spending living in a, a very small geographic area the more i'm kind of longing to get out there in the style of i suppose what franks the americans or lee friedlander or stephen shaw of course they are the great american uh, road trips and uh, there's no reason for you not to do a road trip where you live you don't have to do a road trip across america but it's certainly uh, something that i think has um, perhaps a lot of photographers will start to explore in the coming years perhaps we'll be seeing a lot more road tripping coming about I spoke the other week about the fact of street photographers suddenly being seduced so much more by the architecture when they're finding that so many more, so little people, I should say, are actually out on the street. 
and I'm seeing a lot of pictures from street photographers of, I suppose they're about isolation and desolation and so forth. I don't want to slip into that whole world of talking about photography as I discussed at the beginning of the podcast, but I think you know what I mean and I hope you do. Maybe you're planning your own kind of road trip. Maybe it's going to be a road trip around uh, the local city. We shall see what comes out of that. But I'll certainly be pleased to see work being created, which is more than people in masks um, locked and locked in their homes and looking through their windows. I think we've seen enough of that and um, time to move on. But there does seem to be some positivity out there. I was talking to a photographer uh, earlier today, actually, who said that he's never been busier on commissioned work as he is now. And actually, he's doing a lot more work now than he was doing pre-COVID. I was talking to another photographer yesterday. I tend to talk to photographers pretty much every day. But um, they were saying how they were doing an awful lot of work around COVID. And that was kind of being interesting. That was commissioned work again. And another photographer I know of is also starting a large project. So there seems to be a really good positive sense within the photographic community, both with new projects being started and also with the idea of commissions coming back. So that's got to be good. And I think we need to be positive about that, as I say, every week. I hope you find the, the podcast positive. I know a lot of you are um, really getting a lot from the contributions we get each week from the different photographers. And as I've mentioned in previous week, I'm currently transcribing like crazy uh, to create a book uh, just containing uh, the very best and probably most actually of the um, contributors we've had saying what photography means to them and that's going to be on sale I think perhaps in the nearer future than I expected and, and that's great so that's going to be out there if you do enjoy the podcast I haven't asked for a while so perhaps I'll ask this week do please write us a review if you're on iTunes. That really helps us. Um, say what you think about it. Hopefully it's positive. But do say what you think. And if you want to communicate with us and with me, then just get onto Twitter and um, communicate via at UN of Photo. So that brings us to the end of the evening recording of this podcast. Um, the chair's been a little bit creaky, I know. It's certainly been pretty steamy in the shed. So I think I'll probably be returning to um, mornings in future. I know my voice is just about giving up. I've been speaking all day and um, that uh, certainly takes its toll. But anyway, as I say every week, and uh, it becomes more and more important, I think, as time goes by, really in the coming week, Please, just take care.